Hello and welcome back to Mind of Success. I'm your host, Moni Millares, a Mexican-British living in Asia. I work in fintech and build digital banks from scratch. In my years in the industry, I've realized most of us are in a vulnerable financial position. However, building a business can be a catalyst for change. So I created this podcast. It's about business stories we do not talk about. I chat with entrepreneurs, CEOs, and experts about their journeys, struggles, and lessons to extract gems of wisdom and practical tools so that we can thrive and create the impact we want. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a wonderful conversation that we will be having today. So today we've got Brett Packard. So he is the founder and CEO of the Packard Network. And basically what he does is he shares all the learnings, leadership, wisdom that he's got in his 30 years, listen, 30 years as an executive in the banking industry across 30 countries. So basically he worked like everywhere. North America, Asia, Europe, Africa, and not just any bank. So we've got like top, top class here. Citibank, 20 years, Barclays, ANZ, like big, big names. So it's not only that he brings wisdom and experience based on knowledge from books, but the real deal life, managing director, like big, big... <laughs> big experience in difficult situations where we, he had to lead big organizations. So what we're going to have today is pure gold. So Brett, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Monica. Thank you. I was just delighted when you invited me to join the program and, and um, I always love the opportunity to do whatever I can to share what I've learned with the hope that it will save somebody potentially years with something if they hear something right and i know that i know you've done that for other people as well and i love to do the same thing we share that common interest so it's great to be yeah. here thank you thank you the pleasure is mine it's an honor to have you here thank you so i have like so many questions for you mm, but i guess like, i'll start with we met through a friend i'm honored to call him a friend uh, mike mike amato and you guys worked together years ago. And then you told me this story that you used to work in a city, basically. And then you moved to Barclays and Mike was your manager. Mm -hmm. But then there was a big change in your style. And you went from being an excellent manager and leader to, well, excellent manager to properly being a mm. leader. And even Mike has told me, like, he saw the transformation. So that's where I want to start. Like, Great. what's the distinction mm. with a manager and a leader? And how, what was the journey for you? Yeah, I think, I think you've, you've set it up quite well. And, um, uh, yeah, you know, ni 19 years I, I go mostly in Asia and, and North America. And then I go to Europe for the first time in a different company that had a different culture and a different ecosystem. And the ecosystem I had been in for 19 years was very much one that cultivated execution, taking action, follow-up, getting the things done that anybody has to do in a business, Monica. And, uh, but, but then when I left that 
ecosystem and and went over mike actually hired me so i so i get get over to the uk in a in a big bank which is why i had taken the opportunity it's an opportunity to lead a lot of people i found after six six or eight weeks that you know I was working hard and the same things that I had done for 19 years, the people just weren't responding. And it was, it was, and, you know, so I kept at it, I kept at it and that, you know, I'm stubborn and I just kept going and going. And Mike took me to dinner, I think. And he said, look, Brad, I don't know anybody that works harder than you do. That's not the answer. And, you know, if anything, you need to work less hard. Right. And uh, but but let me let's have a talk about a few things. So anyway, we we had uh, we had a talk. Unfortunately, I was I'm an open enough person. And, and I think this is one of my strengths that even today I'm open to feedback and I can change. I don't get stubborn. I'm 57 years old. I don't get stubborn with age. Right. So anyway, um, Mike said, look, you know, I hired you. Let's let's uh, figure out a way to uh, make this work, but we're going to have to do things a bit differently. In the so back to your question, Monica, you know, one of the things that I learned on that journey with with Mike and and also through efforts that I did was the difference the key difference to me between management and leadership is like a smartphone it's a beautiful piece of hardware it's a beautiful piece of hardware it works really well provided it has software inside and a chip and a sim card you know you can you can turn on the phone if you want but if it doesn't have a sim card it's not going to make that call and I was like the person trying so hard, pushing harder and harder to make that phone call, but there was no SIM card inside. And that SIM card, back to your question, is the are the soft skills, is the leadership. It's the difference is the, the programming, the chip, the soft skills are things like understanding culture and how to cultivate that instead of just a strategy. Ma- management is strategy is more management. You've got to have it. Yeah. You've got to have both, right? So, uh, but cult- culture is something that's about building an ecosystem and shaping that for other people to flourish in that environment. And if you don't do that properly, then people will fail and the organization will fail. So a lot of it is, is that as well. Another example of the difference that that I learned between management and leadership is, is thinking about um, about um, the business in teams, thinking about it from a team perspective instead of just a um, a process perspective, right? Thinking about things through people instead of processes. Um, and what I learned at the end of all of this, and, and it was a rapid journey. It was like a six-month learning journey, and I was on board and picked it up really quickly. And, and it was amazing from that point forward. But basically, Monica, leadership to me is how you make others feel. And it's that simple. I don't, I don't overcomplicate things. And, you know, you can, you won't see that definition in a book. It's my definition that I learned uh, the hard way uh, through the ground. And, and since that era with Mike, um, I, and I have people before I met Mike that that um, that view me favorably, and I'm in touch with them, and they they uh, view me as a mentor, and there's a great legacy. But I was able to define for the next ten years of my career, 
um, a um, an everlasting legacy um, of people that feel good. I still have people from Zambia, which which I went to after my time in the UK, that um, several of them contact me every week, just say, "How you doing?" And I do the same thing with them. And and it's been ten it's been over ten years since I worked with. It's been actually ten years this year. Uh, that I've worked with them and, and it's an everlasting legacy and the impact you make on people because of how we made them feel. I don't know if that answers your question. It's a long answer. <laughs> it's a beautiful answer. Yeah. I was, I was really not expecting that definition as such, but yeah, leadership is how you make people feel. You know, the key, the key was, there was a couple of keys. One was uh, people need mentors, right? And, you know, in this case, Mike was my boss, but he, he, he doesn't, another thing about leadership, bosses aren't bosses, right? They're mentors. They're, they, they set you up to succeed, right? They, they, um, they guide you properly. They don't tell you what to do. You know, Mike did all those things. That was important because I was able to learn that and then replicate it across thousands and eventually tens of thousands of people, um, as my career ensued. And it's just a, a powerful concept to, to view the world, um, as that smartphone, right? As the, the software is just as important as the hardware and, and people need to understand you've got to have the hardware because if yeah. you work in a regulated industry, you know, like, like you do even now, and like I did for 30 years, if it's a regulated industry and you don't pay attention to the hardware, the management, you, you know, you're out of business, right? So you've got to do both and learn how to calibrate um, and, and do both at the same time. Yeah. Mm. You, yes, it's like spot on. Like only leadership is not enough. You need to have both strategy and management mm. and leadership. Yeah. But you also mentioned about culture, that culture is about helping your team flourish. How do you do that? Hmm. Yeah, so that that's that's really important. So there's a couple of things. One one is obviously engagement. So you've got to connect with people and understand, you know, as you're building your team and you're, you know, it's one thing to to hire people in or to inherit a team. It's another thing to start to build chemistry, connect the dots and figure out, okay, well, what kind of environment do we want to create for customers? You know, every business has a customer. So, so, so the place to start is with those people that touch the customer where the transaction happens. Right. And, and oftentimes firms make mistakes because I used to call it the steel building syndrome, right? People sit in a tall office building and they formulate the strategy, they bring in consultants and, you know, the, the, there might be a few focus groups, but oftentimes it's overlooked to talk to the people on the front line because they actually know everything. Speak with customers every day. That's right. They speak with customers every day and they, 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 money is made and lost at that level. It's not made and lost in the steel building. Uh, you know, and a lot of people's egos will get squashed by that. But if you look at the best firms around the world, and I'll give you a current, you and I started in in uh, 2006. That's where we started this conversation in the UK. 
But let's fast forward to 2022 right now, the pandemic era. I'll give you an example, Monica, the great resignation. And I think in Europe, some people are calling it the great quit or something like that. Same thing. And people are, people became fed up with deteriorating cultures that some of which were abusive in nature. Others were just kind of ignoring employees. They weren't connected to what was going on in the front line. Then the pandemic hit and then people got locked down into their homes. They got on Zoom, you know, all of this other stuff. And But because this was brewing for such a long time, people didn't quit because they were afraid to. But then when the pandemic happened and they realized, wow, you know, this, it's actually, you know, not as risky to quit as I thought. So that is the root cause. I've talked to over a hundred people in the current economy from around the world. And this is a common thread. So it, the pandemic didn't cause it, but it accelerated it. And back to your point, okay, it's the culture and ignoring um, how people felt. So, so the first step is to connect and understand how people feel, what they're going through, what their pain points are, what they need, and how do you then build a culture? Well, it, it has to start in partnership with those that you're counting on to deliver uh, your product or service, you know, to the in-state customer, because without that, you're going to have situations like the great resignation where you can attempt to digitize and do everything you want, but companies are starting to realize they can't deliver without the employees. Right. Of course. Mm. Yes. And then just to build on that, let's say one of my natural talents is that ability to connect with people. I'm mm. just like a people's person. I yeah, you're, you're great connect. at that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's not just that I talk, I connect with people. You do. Mm-hmm. But even even now that it's like we're not well, for two years that we have not gone to the office, like now even it, everything is on Zoom, it's hard. Even if it's like, it's a natural thing for me. It's like, I find it not that straightforward because you just see someone a few minutes every few days that is very mm. different interacting in the office how do you think managers and leaders across the world can work through that challenge of connecting better on the line mm. because this is just this is going to stay we're not going back to the office 100 percent right. of the time that's right I, I think you're right and that's a very relevant question and that's the one that the, for those firms that get it right they're going to have the best people and, and so I think, how does it happen? Well, it has to, but both parties have to come together, right? And there's a lot of us versus them in the market now, right? So leadership should do this and employees should do this. People should be more open, empathetic. And okay, well, all of that is true. Leadership, however, needs to take the lead on this, right? Um, they have to understand that, as you said, the landscape has changed and it's not going to go back to the way that it was before. It might be a hybrid, you know, we don't know. But the point is they need some flexibility in their culture um, so that they can understand that just because an employee is working from home and has some technology, they shouldn't schedule a Zoom after dinner, 
you know, they didn't do that. They didn't do that before, before the pandemic. But now, now there's a lot of people where that's happening is that there's a zoom scheduled for seven o'clock at night. Uh, maybe the, the manager has had dinner with his or her family and they decide to have a zoom. Well, you know, maybe there's a mother involved, right. That's putting her baby to bed. Okay. After dinner. Right. And just because she's at home doesn't mean that she's available for a Zoom. It's the same thing on a Friday afternoon. I need you to work on this over the weekend. Right. And because, you know, the manager knows, okay, well, they've got the technology. They're there. They're not having to commute to work. Well, people still have lives. Right. So I think a big, so the first part answer to your question because it's a loaded question and obviously some haven't figured out and others don't is to under connect with and understand um, what's happening in the lives of the employees and don't rely on, it's not an HR exercise of relying on a survey. So I use a method that I learned um, called ALA, ask, listen, act. So, to get and it's a get started technique. It doesn't boil the ocean, but what it does is you you we need leadership. Step one to to and you ask the question: How do you do this? Ask people how they're doing, how they feel. What are your struggles? What are your challenges? What irritates you about working from home? What do you like about working from home? What irritates you about me? What am I doing to irritate you? We need to have, let's have an adult to adult conversation. I really want to know. That's the A part, ask. The L part, the L part is just as important, Monica. Listen. So don't get defensive because you're going to, you know, you're asking some, some really personal questions here, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And this is part of, of hopefully building a culture that will be the new culture, right? Where, where you actually ask, because if, if these things were happening and I'll continue in a second, but if if these things were happening, we wouldn't have the great resignation happening. And remember, it's not the pandemic. And it's not just work from home. These things were brewing long before. Okay, there's data that supports this, and that's what's happening. So, and and it's, I'm, I'm getting a little off track here, but uh, one of the reasons is that you have a lot of managers like Brett Packard in the year 2006 that are really good that were promoted to leaders, and expected to cultivate the culture, and they didn't even know what culture was. So they're trying to make that phone call, right? with this great, beautiful device and there's no SIM card and they, they're getting frustrated. Why won't it make the phone call? Well, they need to, they need to develop their own SIM card. Right. And I walked you through my journey and how that happened. And everybody has to go through that. Yeah. Because it's not natural to many people. It's not natural. So, and can it be learned or you're born with it? It can be learned. I walked you through, uh, we talked about what Mike and I did, right? So, so it, it can be learned. It's not, it doesn't have to be in your DNA, but your DNA has to have an open mind, um, the, which is also a, a great characteristic of a leader to learn new things, right? Maybe we can talk about learning in a little bit, but, but back to the L, back to your question. So you ask the questions, the listen part is critical and it's listen. It's not, 
um, responding. You don't respond yet to them. You just listen. You're getting information. You're engaging with them. You're you're carefully understanding, um, and you're building empathy. Right. You're, you're building how you're going to express empathy in the other A, the ALA. The the final A is your action. So after you've asked the questions, you understand, you listen, then what leaders need to do to reshape the culture is to then take action based on what you heard, right? And that's what's so important. And it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, the order of ALA is critically important. There are, there are a lot of cultures that ask, act, and then listen. And they wonder, well, what went wrong? (laughs) So (laughs) that's right. You didn't, you didn't listen or, or there are a lot of cultures that act first and then they're in response mode. They're in response mode. Right. And then it's like, I wonder what happened. Why are people quitting or why aren't people on board for the new strategy? Well, Maybe they weren't engaged, right? So you had asked, anyway, so ALA is a tool. It doesn't solve everything, but it gets you on the right track. And that is similar to, I don't think we called it ALA at the time when when you asked, how did we reshape the culture? But so the main thing we did was we did a whole bunch of things. ALA will get you started to understand what's happening on the front line. That's what we did. And then we built everything around that, right? Uh, we built how we set goals, right? We had, we had um, uh, before there was a lot of sales pressure to, for people to sell it. And it was causing people, before we came in, before Mike came in, actually, it was causing people to do things um, to meet a sales target that may not have been in the customer's best interest. So we completely turned that upside down and we removed the pressure and we tooled up the sales force so that they could set their own goals, right, based on their own aspirations. And so we went from a tops down goal setting to a bottoms up. Anyway, I, I won't get into the details, but what happened over the next couple of years was absolutely amazing. Engagement was was through the roof. Uh, customer satisfaction was through the roof. And believe it or not, the growth was far higher with bottoms up goals instead of tops down goals. Right. And yes. I might've inadvertently used the word target a while ago, but, but we, we also uh, scrapped target from the vocabulary and they were goals, right. And they were more personal goals in nature. And the, the business was there. Barclays bank at the time uh, was there to help them achieve their goals. So all of a sudden, we were reconciled and synchronized with their own purpose. It was amazing, Monica. And then things started to click. Of course. You just read my mind on what I was about to ask, but I think you already answered the question, but we can mm, elaborate sure. on that. That is, how do you motivate people? And you're just like giving us a little bit of a bit of the answer, but it's like what we all see. It's like, hey, I start a new job. Super exciting. <laughs> you start the job and you're like, whoa. Three months, six months, and then it's like eight months, 12 months. And now with LinkedIn, you get like approached like every two weeks or every day. (laughs) 
How do yeah. you keep people motivated? Yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you. Yeah, and I'd love to tell a story if I could, just a few years after the part that we're talking about. So after later, I, I wound up um, uh, very fortunately, um, I was sent to Zambia, right, where I wound up working for living in a hotel for about a year and and transforming the culture of that business, right? And it was a different situation in the UK, but the same methods were applied, right? And these methods, by the way, for those of you watching, listening, that they will, I can put my hand on my heart, spill my brain to you, they'll work in any culture. Now, how you do them might vary from culture to culture, but these concepts that, that Mike uh, taught me and that we did work universally. So anyway, go down to Zambia, all that said, and uh, th there were some issues, a lot of issues there with engagement, so, different than the UK, but a lot of issues disconnected. Employees didn't feel they were part of the situation. They didn't understand how they were paid. The union was, it's not heavily unionized, but it does have a union. There were a lot of questions about, you know, pay, a lot of, it was opaque, right? So anyway, one of the first things that I did, so you talk about how do you inspire people? I said to the leadership team within a couple of weeks of getting there, I want to have a town hall and I want to fill it up with 500, 1,000 people. I forget what the number is now, but we're going to, um, we're going to fill up an auditorium and we're going to put 12 chairs on the stage. I'm going to sit in the middle because I'm the managing director and yeah. all of you are going to sit next to me. And we're going to, we're going to, it's going to be three hours <laughs> and for two hours, we're going to uh, have people out there with microphones and we're going to let people vent and tell us what we should do. It's going to be a listening session. So it's the ask, right? And then the listen, right? And we're not going to do the final A tonight. We're going to then go away and figure out how to do it. So anyway, Monica, we did this. We feel, and, but, but the initial reaction was, oh, <laughs> we can't do this. You know, no, uh, we don't, not. we don't know, you know, we don't know what they're going to say. Um, you know, th this, yeah, let's, <laughs> yeah no. let's not, let's please, let's not do this. Right. We can go around the country and do focus. Group. And I said, no, we're going to do this. Okay. Uh, because I also wanted to visibly show, in addition to hearing, I wanted to visibly show that things are going to change, right? And we're going to turn this upside down a bit, and we're going to all get on the same page. So anyway, we did it, and it was pretty bad for the first couple of hours, right? And the third hour, I spoke, and I didn't commit to doing anything, but what I did commit to, I committed to one thing. Nothing specific, but I committed to them and I spoke for an hour about this and it inspired everybody. We spoke about that we're going to build a culture. I don't know what it looks like yet, right? Because we're going to go away and take all this feedback and frustration that you have. Some people were yelling at us, right? Um, during, during the first two hours, we're going to take all this feedback, digest it. We're going to be humbled by it. Okay, we're a bit humbled right now anyway, because it was a rough two hours. And we're going to formulate a plan and we're going to track every one of these items. And we're going to shape a culture that's built for all of us, right? For 
for the for for you the employee leadership we need to be one we're all employees right so right now there it's us versus them so we're going to come together and then we're going to reshape it for the customer we're going to reshape it for the community we're going to reshape it for the regulator we're going to reshape it for the shareholder and that and that inspired everybody and we came up with uh, something that that was um, how do we wind up making everything much easier for everybody okay including the customer right and and part of that started with transparency okay around compensation around uh, how do we how do we set goals right and so we I replicated what we did in the UK and it was just absolutely amazing right um, how we did it that way. And anyway, the business transformed and we did, we transformed a big part of that business in 10 months. And, and it was just amazing. And I remember we had seniors coming in, flying in from London. They were doing a tour of Africa and they came in, Bob, Di- Bob Diamond was one of them. And they came in and, and they had, we had a big town hall, Anthony Jenkins at yeah. the time. And, yeah. and we had a big yeah. town hall, Ashok Faswani. They, they all came in and after we did this big town hall and it was exactly the opposite of what that initial session was instead of a lot of questions people were talking they were praising each other and they were actually my leadership team in zambia was unbelievable they were uh, to this day they're some of the best leaders that i've ever worked with and they were actually getting pounded at that first session and at the a year later they were getting complimented. So instead of firing questions up there, they were telling stories over the microphone. And these people from London, the so senior executives bosses. were sitting because there saying, was like, we, yeah, we've never seen anything like this before. And uh, what what questions do you have? And there weren't there there were very few questions that they were they were telling stories about how Barclays had improved the lives of their family, and this had happened in ten months. So that's how you inspire people. Sometimes you have to, and and by the way, my leadership team they became believers, obviously, because they said, "Well, we didn't think that this would happen." <laughs> you know, they were worried about they were worried about you know being attacked, right? And the opposite happened. They wound up being loved, and that was. Um, and I know you talk a lot about that, and and so do I. That that you know, showing empathy, showing kindness being sensitive to how other people might feel. That's really all we did, Monica. It wasn't rocket science, right? It was simple. Yeah. I nice hope that answered your, I hope that question, uh, yes. that answered your question about how do you inspire a, a couple thousand people? That That's one way to do it, the Zambia example. And that's a beautiful example, mm. like beautiful, like turn around the business. I've heard many times Mike telling me, yes, when my time in Barclays, like we turned around the culture. But that story, it's like very. Yeah. It's different, very right? Every it. story, every culture is different. And, you know, I can tell a story back in 1998 in Bangkok, right? I was new to Asia. I go in and I meet a branch employee, right? It, but way back in 1998, and, and this isn't a culture story, but this is a resourcefulness story. And, you know, in 1990, you know, it, in the late 90s, the Asian financial crisis hit, right? And that doesn't happen very often in Asia. It started in Thailand with the Thai bot blew up. 
And so anyway, I went to, I went into Bangkok and I was just learning about the country, never been there before. And, and uh, so I get there and I visit the branch. And that, by the way, another thing that I do that I always did is whenever I would fly into a country and there were 30 of them that I worked across, right? I would go straight from the airport to a branch instead of the head office. Everybody want to take me to the head office, right? So let's, let's go, let's have our meetings and, you know, we'll go have our meetings, but I want to go talk to the front line and then I'm prepared for the meeting. Okay. So, so we would go straight. It drove people crazy, right? Oh my gosh, what is going to happen with this? Right. And so, so anyway, um, the second tactic, and then I'll get back on point here, second thing, if you want to know what's going on in a business, visit the front line. The other thing is ask for six months worth of complaints and review those. Take a half a day, take a half a day, review them. Now, what you're going to get is you're going to get a mixed bag. Some people might look at you and say, oh, I don't know if we have those. Okay, well, that's a problem, right? Because every business has complaints, right? So, so but if they do have them, just dig into them. Look at not just what the complaints are. That that's one thing because that will lead you to things like product design and you know all, all sorts of stuff. But also look at how they were handled, how they were investigated. Were they legitimate or were they fake complaint? You know, you need to understand all of these things. Anyway, these two tactics, Monica, would are worth tens of millions of dollars in profits to any company on any new leader that goes in and wants to learn about the business, visit the front line and review complaints for six months. Anyway, so, so that's a little uh, bonus piece of advice here on your, on your podcast today. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're back, back to Thailand, just really quickly, a resourcefulness story, which is really important. So I met this woman in the branch and she basically said, Brett, I said, Oh, you're new. She said, yeah, I started last week. And I said, how did you get the job here? Because everybody's applying for a job because the economy blew up and you have, and, and she had worked in, I don't know, manufacturing or something. And how did you get a job at the bank here? I was kind of curious how she did it that way. Well, you know, I was told that there's thousands of resumes coming into this was city, uh, into city at the time. And, and, um, you know, I knew that I had to stand out if I was going to have a chance. Number one, cause I'm a woman. And it's a little chauvinistic here. So I want to uh, stand out. So what I did is I took my resume and I wrote on there in handwriting in blue ink, right? She wrote on there that I can make a difference for you. Please interview me. And so anyway, she sends in this resume. And for some reason, this blue ink catches somebody's attention in HR and, and they decided to interview her, right? And one thing led to another, she got the job. That's an, I'm telling this story because it's, it's, it's an example that thousands of people are coming in. You're a woman, your, your chances of landing that job are very small because everything blew up in the economy. You know, you're going to be put at the bottom because you have no banking experience. And yet you were resourceful enough to do something to get somebody to look at your resume or your CV. Yeah. Right? And that's, a, that's, that's just, I, I wanted to point that out. I, I don't know why it flashed into my mind, but, but that, that's an example of back to your point on culture. 
if leaders can create, and I didn't create that culture, right? And neither did anybody in in Thailand in the business at the time, but this person is resourceful. So think about if leaders can become resourceful and do the things that you and I are talking about on this podcast, um, they can solve this great resignation problem. I have a follow-up question on that. I've sure. noticed across my career with me and my colleagues, when the CEO shows up in the room, people have fear. He doesn't have to say anything. <laughs> right. He just shows up and there is fear. <laughs> that is not cool. It is just not, it's not a nice culture. It is just not okay. No, it feels cold, right? But, it feels cold. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it that... And I've noticed, like, I'm not the CEO, but let's say as a lead with a title, just because you have a title, yeah, people, people feel that difference. How? What's a way to close that gap? And maybe it's just repeating what you just said, but it has a very it's a small. I know. I think I think you've asked a great question, and we haven't really talked about this one yet right because this is this is something that that's that's important right and it does trickle down to because then you could have a director of distribution that the the um the person feels intimidated by that person or a foreigner comes in right and then you've got local people from the country so you ask a good question back to your ceo question so how do you kind of warm things up well a lot of this is stylistic in nature and and some people leaders unfortunately enjoy that and they use the authority what i do and my recommendation would be to kind of lighten things up warm things up a bit i think that's really what we want to do here is warm it up i building influence skills um that if to the point that they can dominate authoritarian authoritarian skills is an art okay and so a ceo in in the example you mentioned that has excellent influence skills that can a connect with people and that can work with people instead of having people work for them and it all comes through in body language it all comes through in exactly. in how you talk to people, how you greet people. Do you keep the voice. yeah? Do you yeah. keep the door open to your office? Right. Oh, we'll go back. Go back to Mike, for example. Did he have an office? Yes, he did because he's running a bank with, you know, thirty thousand people under him. You've got to have private conversations, but he had a glass office. So yeah, the door has to be closed because you're having uh, private. But if somebody was not in his office, that door was open. And even when the door was closed, there it's all glass. So you can see, so there's no hiding. Now, it's a subtle thing, right? Because Mike knew to design the office, right? Without a wooden door that was, you know, with curtains or blinds where nobody could see what's going on because people are always looking at that door. And then when they open, oh, the boss is coming out, right? Oh, the and, CEO. Yes, exactly. And, and I mean. the CEO yes. comes out and, or, or let's yes. say the CEO. Yes. Yeah. Can you come to my office, Monica? Well, okay. 
Yeah, and I can tell you. Why did I go to the office? Can we have a call? Can you call me? (laughs) But what if? Yeah, and I'm talking, and and it's not just about having a glass office, right? But I'm just giving this as a subtle example because it's up to the leader to. Mike could have put blinds and and curtains in his office and shut it off, right? Just this simple little subtle thing creates more of an open environment that look yeah. I'm I'm open to you I'm going to work with you you're not working for me and this is a partnership it's the old Starbucks model right we're partners in the firm right and we're going to work together on this as well and make everybody feel at home and our job is to make coffee an experience right so the second part to your your question is to how to humanize the CEO is that develop a partnership model with people, right? Don't, let's not have an informal approach. And even, you know, the way that people are doing performance reviews is changing, right? So with time. So do do what the companies like Facebook do. You know, they do real-time feedback now. They don't have formal performance reviews, right? It's, it's and maybe with the pandemic era economy, maybe you can do things like this where you, you encourage uh, and make feedback part of everybody's job, right? Where they where they do it, and they're not afraid to do it, and they can they can take it because a lot of people. The other problem in today's world, a lot of people still have a problem accepting feedback. So maybe instead of keep pounding on them to you're not getting this, you're not getting this. Maybe we need to change the way we deliver the feedback where people can actually benefit from it. Where it's more, um, it's either more private. It's uh, less intimidating. Maybe they're not HR templates anymore. You know, we, we should move beyond that. In my opinion, there's other ways we can do feedback. We can do. I saw the coolest thing last night, Monica, on LinkedIn. This individual popped up in my news feed showing a video of a. Uh, so he, he provides this product to entrepreneurs. And it's a brochure that when you open it up, it plays a video. Oh, cool. It is the it is the coolest thing I've ever seen. So they can they can they can remotely uh, program them, and he's figured out how to do it at a low cost. So they can remotely through Wi-Fi change the mm-hmm. messages that once a a, uh, a client has their brochure. It's it's unbelievable. So why couldn't we? So I was thinking, um, actually, this morning before this meeting, I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be interesting? if performance reviews could somehow use technology like that, right? Why not, right? You know, you're you're in Malaysia right now. I'm in North America right now. We're talking like we're in the same room, right? So why, yes, couldn't, we make, why couldn't we make performance reviews this way instead of these templates and, you know, these things? And anyway, I hope I answered your question on CEOs. Yes, you it, did. It, yes. It's, it's more the, the it's, it's the subtle things not the not the uh, harsh things that you do. It's the smooth edges, not the sharp corners, right? You need to kind of get rid of those sharp corners and do the subtle things. Don't have a blind in your office. Open your door. Uh, dedicate dedicate time to being open. And I think when you then walk in the room, you're one of the team, right? Instead of the here comes the captain, right? And everybody knows you're the captain and, and that's fine. But you know, a real leader, Monica, is one that 10 years after the fact, they're still the leader, right? 
I still have people calling me, not just from Zambia, but I also worked in uh, Zimbabwe, Botswana, Mozambique, Tanzania, Namibia. People, I still have people uh, call me and call me their leader, right? And, you know, because we did it together and happy birthday, Brett. And, and I still wish people, I have this woman in Zambia, I'm not going to embarrass her, but every day she sends me a text, says, good morning, Brett. Every afternoon, good afternoon, Brett, and good night, Brett. And this happens every day, right? And it just sends a chill up my spine because the impact that we made on this person, this has been more than 10 years, right? And this person three times a day sends me a message, right? It's yes. unbelievable, right? And that's what, that's what it connected. And I was a CEO, right? So I could have, I could have taken the approach, right? Uh, being cold and oh, here he comes, you know, and, and, but, but it was the opposite approach, right? Yes. I've experienced that. And you use the right word, like you had impact in this person's life. And my previous, exactly, leaders, founders, CEOs, and previous companies, as of today, A, I see them as friends, I see them as mentors, but I'm like, they changed my life. It's not that they changed my life, but they had such an important impact in me. Yeah. Mm. But exactly, I'll be forever grateful because I work with them. Exactly. Yes, yeah, I feel the same is, way. That is the difference. That is mm-hmm. the difference that you're talking about. Like you had impact in somebody such that years after, even they don't work in the same organization, they still come to you and they see you as someone that they admire. Yeah. I mean, I get yeah. on LinkedIn every day, right? And I actually, I'm not pretending to do anything, but I actually view that as, look, I'm, I'm a leader. So I'm going to give advice as though this whole LinkedIn community, it's a business and we're running it together. And that's my mindset going in. So I will, last night I felt like posting something because I saw some posts from other people that weren't, I'm not going to say they were unkind, but they, they were a bit harsh, right? And so I made a 15, a 13 second video, right? Last night um, on spur of the moment after I saw this post on how to build trusted relationships with somebody uh, basically by showing empathy without using the word empathy, because I think too many people are using that word and it's becoming a buzzword. So I, I basically said empathy in a different way, right? That, you know, how do you, how do you build? Well, you're kind to everybody and you show sensitivity. You, you put yourself in their shoes. To me, that's good enough for empathy. And I don't need to use the word empathy, right? So, and then somebody somebody on Instagram re- replied to my thing and said, well, Brett, you should just say empathy, right? Okay, well, that's fine. That's what it is. It's okay, right? But I want to yeah. make sure that people understand um, what is empathy, right? Instead, It's beyond a buzzword. Yes, it is. And actually, now that you say LinkedIn and your videos, like you've been posting lately, like, parts of, the, of your journals. It's fascinating yeah. to see, oh, Japan. Oh, so that's an interesting here, story. Yeah. It is so cool. Yeah. So, so maybe just for your listeners, um, um, those that know me know the genesis of this, but back in 19, so I started my career in 1987, right? And um, in, in Las Vegas with City. And in 1988, I was fortunate enough to, to see a Jim Rohn seminar. Jim Rohn, for those of you that don't know, I know, Monica, you know, but Jim Rohn was, is 
was, he, he's passed away, unfortunately, is Tony Robbins' mentor. So that's Jim Rohn. So he kind of knows what he's doing. And anyway, fortunate. So he, so I did a lot of things. Uh, my philosophy, I learned, I formulated a big part of my philosophy from him. Anyway, um, back to the, the journal of the diary. He said, one of the things he said, keep a journal. It's, it's the best part of your library. Write it down. Don't, and I remember this is a quote from him, not me. Don't treat your brain like a filing cabinet. Write it down. Because as the years go by, you just might forget. So I did it. 30 years, 89 books, handwritten. Not fa- It doesn't need to be fancy. Everybody always says, oh, what kind of software should I get and all that? Look, pencils, paper clips, and paper is the best yeah. way. And at the yeah. end of the day, just write down a concept, right? So today, I uh, right before this uh, podcast, right, coming on with you, I, um, I uh, uh, whipped something out from 2005 in Asia. I was in Singapore and was talking to the investment uh, or the wealth heads, we call it investment, but the wealth management heads of uh, 12 countries, right, with this was city. And I was a regional head and, and some things weren't getting through is the background of the story. But the concept that came out about that, what you'll see on my feed is that if you're talking to somebody and attempting to make your point, talk in their language. And that's metaphorically speaking, not literally speaking. So put yourself in their shoes, right? If you're trying to make a point, don't keep pounding your point if they're not going to understand what it is, right? Um, so, so you need to put it in their terms so they can see it in their world. And that way, anyway, back to your point, that was the point of my post today. Right. And, and how can you, how can you, uh, if you have a point to communicate, how can you communicate it where other people will understand it? That's really the point, right? Yeah. Awesome. I am conscious of time and I could keep talking like for five hours. Yeah. This is fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I know. I'm like, yes. So, but as we as we start to wrap up the episode, sure. because I see that both of us we can talk forever. What do you what comes to your mind as final remarks for anyone listening? Yeah, I th- I think I think um what's on my mind now and I know what's going to be on a lot of people's mind when they hear the po- when, when they hear the podcast, right? Monica is Okay, so I heard all this stuff. A lot of it sounds good. ALA and and a smartphone and a SIM card. So what? What? How can I use this today? Right? Because at the end of the day, um, I believe something else. Mike taught me is that leaders need to be relevant, right? And so how can we? How Monica? How can you and I take this one hour of somebody's time? They're they're investing an hour in us, right? How can we be relevant to them? So what I would say is that okay worldwide, everybody, somehow the pandemic's affecting every single person on this planet right now. So how can we take all of this and, and be relevant? Well, in from, a, from a, a job, work environment perspective or personal perspective, my parting words would be for everybody listening to this to ask yourself the question on everything that you're doing now, the what what you're doing, right? Pause for a moment and think for five days about 
how could you do that differently? How is, is the emphasis here? Not, not the what, right? We all have the what's, right? And everybody has a different what. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that because all of you listening to this have things to do, right? But I'd ask you to think and ask yourself the question, debate it with yourself. How could you do things differently? Because the world's changed, right? Your environment's changed. Your, your bosses may have changed. Your, the culture of your company, maybe it's not so good. So how could you do some things to improve things for you? Now, that might involve leaving your company and, find, and getting resourceful, like that woman in Thailand in 1998 that we spoke about. Be resourceful. Be different. Get your get your resume updated. Start networking. Reach out to. I treat LinkedIn as a library, right? And I I, I literally view it, Monica, as a library where where once a day I'll pick a person like Monica Malaris, and I'll I'm going to study your newsfeed for thirty minutes. Do you? I do. Oh, yeah, I've great. done that on you. I've done that on you. Yeah. And it's not a pass or fail, but I want to learn about, because I believe in relationships, right? And so one way, but yet not everybody has time in in their life to have, you know, oh, I got to do a Zoom, got to do a phone call. I want to have three calls with you this week. You know, not everybody can do that, right? So, so there are ways, again, like the woman in Thailand I mentioned, I told that story for a reason. We can be resourceful. So that's being pretty resourceful on LinkedIn. So if you think about it, that's five people a week, right? Just on a five-day week, half an hour each. You know a lot about that person and their philosophy after doing it that way. So so I would so that's an example of the how, back to your question. So not the what, but how can you do things differently? So can you take an hour of your day? and learn something new. And I've just given everybody a great idea on how they yeah. could learn something new. Pick five people. You know, that's 20 people a month. I guarantee you, you study their news feed for 30 minutes, five people a day for a month. You're going to learn something new and you're going to have a ton of new ideas. And that's an example of how you can do things differently. Does that make, and you don't have to quit your job. You can do this while having your job and still you need the income, but then you might just be ready after a few months of doing this to, I'm, I don't like this job, this culture, and I'm going to go create a better future for myself. And now you've picked up skills and you've met people that you've learned their philosophy. You then can, you don't have to copy what they do, right? But you can take bits and pieces of the different people that you, that's 20 people after a month. There's a lot to learn right there. So that's yes, how that's I would answer good. your question, Monica. Yeah. That yeah. is a beautiful, beautiful piece mm. of advice. And I think it's like, just like great to <laughs> wrap up the conversation. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Brett. Oh, like, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. You're very it's welcome. I, it's my, thank you for pleasure. having me, and and I'm 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 happy to come back anytime. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I could talk like for another five hours. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Brett, and everyone. Hope you enjoyed. Do remember to listen to the episode again and pick one idea that resonates the most and put it into action. 
And in the meantime, enjoy and see you next week. Bye.